Hi, this is Michael Soto. And I'm Sam Garman. You're listening to Transform, the podcast where we explore the stories and experiences of folks who are transgender beyond the transition. One, two, three, four. What did your mom say? What is your real name? How about those drugs that you take? And does your voice change? How come you don't feel ashamed? What kind of love do you make? But you don't care about my answer Your questions ignore me Let me tell you a story So it's November, and every November is... uh, November's an important time for Mm -hmm. the trans community. So November is an important time for the trans community. Uh um, And we tend to have several events in November. Um, So the last week, um, you all may have been aware of it because it was on Facebook a lot was trans awareness week. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there were lots of folks doing um, information about trans awareness. Um, I saw lots of Twitter Q and A's folks opening themselves up to asking questions. Um, I saw lots of sort of nationally recognized trans folks talking about their experiences um, with the hashtag trans awareness week. If you're interested in reading some of that, um, it's really interesting stuff. Um, So that's one way to find that stuff. Uh, But today, the day that we're releasing this episode to you is the transgender day of remembrance. And so we wanted to honor that day uh, with this episode. Yes. So Transgender Day of Remembrance is a international uh, event uh, that is marked through candlelight vigils and the reading of the names of people who have died, uh, typically have been murdered violently, um, who are transgender over the past year, uh, from November 21st to November 20th every year. So... Yeah, and so... This was originally very sort of strictly a candlelight vigil, um, but in somewhat recent years has sort of grown. And there are some places that do art projects or art walks um, and communities locally sort of um, do that work in a way that best fits uh, their community's needs. Yeah, absolutely. As with any event like this, that is a nationally recognized event. There's obviously some reason that it started um, and some reason why it continues. And so we thought that we would um, take today and talk a little bit about the history and sort of what the event looks like and why why the event looks the way it does. And then how we, um, how we can move forward from the Transgender Day of Remembrance every year um, and what it is that it teaches us. Yes. So let's start with the history. Yeah. 1998 was a bit of a pivotal year for the LGBTQ movement as a whole. Yeah, um, Matthew Shepard was murdered that year, um, and his death was a, a galvanizing moment for the LGBTQ community, in part because of its sheer brutality, um, and in part because of the um, sort of horrific way his death was met by the religious right mm-hmm. um, and by uh, hate groups throughout the United States. Um, and it really became a moment for the LGBTQ community uh, to point out to the straight and cisgender community what little progress had been made in terms of personal safety and violence, right? Yeah, yeah. So at the same time, or in the same period of time, there were several deaths of transgender women. 
that occurred uh, in pretty quick succession to Matthew Shepard's death. Um, so these three women, Rita Hester, Tyra Hunter, and Chanel Pickett, um, were also violently murdered or died as a result of medical neglect. And their deaths did not receive the same attention from the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and queer communities. Um, and it became uh, a bit of a point of, uh, I suppose, contention um, and the beginning of a larger dialogue uh, nationally in the LGBTQ movement um, about the disparities between the lesbian, gay, bisexual, queer, um, and transgender communities, right? Yeah. So Gwendolyn Smith was the founder of what was at first called the Remembering Our Dead Project, um, and she organized the very first vigil uh, mm-hmm. and moment uh, that a trans person was memorialized in a, a public conscious, you know, sort of way. Yeah. And that memorial was to honor her friend Rita Hester, yes. um, who had been stabbed in her apartment. And it was, it was sort of a grassroots thing that happened with Rita's community. Apparently Rita was very well loved in the Boston area. She was sort of, famous and infamous in that community. And so when she was murdered, it really shocked that community in Massachusetts um, and created um, sort of a shock wave where Gwendolyn Ann Smith felt like something needed to happen on a broader scale um, within the context of that moment, but also in remembering Rita's death. Right. So in the fall of 1998, you have Matthew Shepard dying, vigils happening all over the country to memorialize his death. And then in December, uh, Rita dying and a vigil happening in Boston uh, to memorialize her death and sort of the in the the Boston area community a similar impact being felt to in regard to Rita's death as the L- LGBTQ community felt in regard to Matthew's death in Wyoming and nationally. Yeah. Um, and then as Gwendolyn started this project, right, she is then aware of more trans women in particular and trans people being murdered or dying um, in ways that are could be prevented, right? Yeah. <laughs> and she starts the Remembering Our Dead project, and then the first, the next fall um, in 1999, the first national vigils are held, right? And that, uh, that year in 1999, November 20th, um, the Remembering Our Dead project included all of the trans people who had been murdered um, or died from medical neglect, um, as well as Matthew Shepard and Barry Winchell, you know, all, all sorts of people that um, people who were LGBTQ identified that had their lives had been cut short due to hate, essentially. Yeah. And really, that's the um, that's the emphasis and yeah. impetus Really, that's the impetus of the Transgender Day of Remembrance is to um, honor those whose lives have been cut short by hatred and violence regarding their gender identity and their presentation. Um, And I think that's important to call out because, you know, there are, you know, there are lots of there are lots of folks who die every year. um, And this moment in our community is about calling out that hate is what is murdering the people that are like us. Yes, exactly. Um, after a few years, the Remembering Our Dead project became Transgender Day of Remembrance, mm-hmm. um, in particular because the transgender community experiences violence and death due to that violence and neglect um, at a 
a higher rate than the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and queer community. Um, and, and that's even taking into account the many, many deaths of trans people um, that are not documented as trans people in their deaths, um, or folks that are dying from suicide or from uh, even medical neglect now, as that's uh, not typically something that you see on the list. It's typically violent death from... Um, you know, shooting, stabbing, those kinds of things. Uh, So the project has evolved over time um, in particular because the, the disparity and exposure to violence is so extreme and pervasive for the transgender community, especially for transgender women of color. Yeah. And it would be, I mean, absolutely. uh, It would be egregious at this point that we didn't point out that almost always the massive, number of women of people on this list are transgender women of color. Yes. Um, we, we know that this is, uh, something that far more disproportionately impacts them. Um, and so we call that out because it's really important to say what's true about that. Um, and because it helps us understand, um, what we can do to prevent those names from ever being on this list to start with. Exactly. Um, over time also the list, uh, became a, international effort uh and a global memorial um Mm -hmm. so whereas in the you know the first few years it was very focused on the united states and the transgender population here uh now every year i think beginning from 2007 forward uh we memorialize an international list of transgender people who have uh whose lives have been cut short due to violence yeah and we do that i think to position ourselves in the context that like in the u.s our number is pretty large every year. Right. Um, and in the context of globally, like yeah. that number is really large and yeah. we are, our community is impacted outside of nations and States. Like we are, yeah. we're commun- our community is targeted all over the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, just like in the United States, uh, in other parts of the world, transgender people are not always, uh, recognized appropriately in their deaths, uh, either because their families have not accepted them as a transgender person, uh, are not, or their families don't feel safe, uh, themselves, right. in memorializing that person as a transgender person, depending on the part of the world or the country, mm-hmm. um, for many reasons, right. Because of different, uh, laws and different, issues with death certificates uh oftentimes transgender people are not treated with the dignity that we deserve in our deaths uh and so um as well as bias in police forces and just a myriad reasons right why transgender people are misgendered in our deaths in the official legal process the memorializing process and in the press uh this is something that we see really frequently um and something that, that I've noticed in particular over the last couple of years seems to happen, um, well, it happens egregiously for most trans people, um, but in particular for young trans men or gender non-conforming people that were assigned female at birth, um, yeah. almost always referred to incorrectly in the press. Yeah. Um, and Well, and that's part of like, in the press, there's a sensationalism, right? right. About, about calling out. Yeah. A person's transgender identity um and so you know journalists i think sometimes with good intentions and sometimes i think with just trying to get their byline read by more people Mm -hmm. um make that the story instead of 
instead of making it the story that this is another trans person who has been deeply harmed by the things that they are perpetuating by writing about their death in the way that they're writing about it. Like it's, yeah. there's just an, a lack of self-awareness yeah. around the ways in which writing about trans folks like that actually increases our experiences with violence yeah. and with misgendering in daily life and with people feeling like they can talk about our gender identities. Like it's a fun secret that they can share. Right. Um, well, and I think the worst part of that is uh, when people hide behind their idea of professional conduct, especially in terms yes. of the press saying that it is more accurate to refer to transgender people by their the sex that they were assigned at birth, when in fact, many organizations like GLAAD, National Center for Transgender Equality, the Human Rights Campaign, right, like all sorts of organizations have established really good media guidelines yes. um, that allow for the proper, respectful, and dignified discussion of transgender people um, in our lives or our deaths. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I think there's... Personally, I think that there is no excuse for anyone in the media at this point in time in 2018 um, to still refer to transgender people in inappropriate and disrespectful ways in yeah. our lives or our deaths. Yeah. And, and, that, and that I think is part of why we need Transgender Day of Remembrance. Yeah. Because within our community, we actually can honor our community and those who have been taken from us in a way that actually respects their identity, that we can hold that someone is gender non-conforming um, or uses they them pronouns. Um, we can say their names in a way that is respectful. Yeah. From the name that they identified is the name that best fits them. Yes. Um, and we can do those things in a way that actually honors them in death in a way that they might not have been honored in life. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's that our community is uniquely situated to be able to do that. Yeah. And that is part of why we continue to need the transgender day of remembrance. Yeah. We also continue to need the transgender day of remembrance because the number of trans people being killed violently by hate is not decreasing right. in these years. Like, I think people want to say, oh, it's 2018. I mean, come on. Right. Like, aren't we over all this? Like, no, we're, we're not. definitely, definitely not over all this. In just this year, approximately two trans people a month are murdered. Right. And that's just the folks that we know about. Right. That doesn't include the folks who've killed themselves or who have experienced medical neglect um, mm -hmm. and were and died because a doctor didn't know how to take care of them. Right. Um, those whose families didn't report the fact that they were trans in their death. Uh -huh. uh, those who are missing and we don't know what's happening with them. Yeah. Um, those whose murders or deaths were never reported. Like, exactly. Who have just sort of fallen through the cracks. Yeah. So we know that there are a lot more. Yes. And we continue to need this day to, to show that this is true for us. It's true yeah. for our community that we experience violence and hate in a way that other folks don't. Yeah. Um, and, and we have to stand together and honor the folks who have, who have gone this year. Absolutely. They aren't standing next to us anymore. Yeah. I think it's also, it's also an opportunity for uh, those of us that throughout any given year experience violence, medical neglect, uh, and other forms of discrimination and harm, um, 
that don't result in our deaths, but are still truly damaging, right? To feel like uh, we aren't alone, um, that and to find a space that clearly says that form of treatment is not okay, um, and that you deserve more as a trans person and as a human being, um, and to find community uh, in um, in you know the place that you live. Hopefully, <laughs> um, yeah. if not, if that's not happening in the place that you live, to find a sense of community and belonging in the idea that around the world people are gathering to remember transgender people. And to create spaces where uh, your experience as a trans person can be held and you can be seen for the human yeah. being that you are. Yeah. Right? And I think it's important that it's not just trans folks at these events. Yeah. That the LGBTQ community comes out in support. Absolutely. Um, the The reality is that trans folks have been in the fight with LGBT, LGBTQ folks right. forever. Yep. Um, and so cisgender allies and straight allies and lesbian, gay and bisexual allies need to be at these events standing yep. with our community. Yep. Um, the reality is that until those of us who are farthest on the margins are safe yeah. and able to have fulfilling lives, none of us is safe. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's just, that's just the bottom line. And so, um, I think that T-Door events should also be attended by allies. Yeah, I agree. And I think they should be prioritized in particular by organizations that focus, um, on the LGBTQ community as a whole and mm -hmm. are run or focused perhaps even more so on the, the LGBTQ community. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, as you've said, the trans people we've been a part of, this greater movement since its inception. Um, and, you know, we show up for the big moments, whether that's memorializing someone like Matthew Shepard and his horrible, brutal, untimely death um, that he did not deserve, certainly in any way, um, or big moments like marriage equality, right? Yeah. Um, we're there celebrating with the community, fighting for those things, fighting for the, the recognition or, you know, memorializing with the community. Um, but the reality of the history is that that has not always been a two-way street. Um, mm -hmm. There's a significant portion of the LGBTQ community that does not show up for the trans community um, in significant ways, yeah. either in our times of need, our times of memorializing, um, or in regard to policy, right? Yeah. Um, and this is a really easy way for allies, especially LGBTQ allies to show up, um, and to be present. Yeah. I think that, I think that trend is changing. Um, and I think you and I saw that at the, uh, we will not, you know, we exist and yeah. we vote and the, we will not be race rally that just yeah. happened here. Yeah. Um, that was an incredible moment seeing straight cis and LGBTQ allies showing up for the trans community and yeah. fully participating. Um, so my hope is that that extends to, T-Door as well, um, and extends to our many battles beyond T-Door and yeah. beyond, uh, yeah. you know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I, I think one of the things about, um, the T-Door rallies that is, uh, a really powerful moment is that the names of all the folks who have been murdered in that year are read. Yeah. Um, and that takes a long time. Yes, it does. Um, and I think it's instructive how long that takes to recognize that, wow, this is something that impacts hundreds of people every year. Um, yeah. 
in our in our world, not just in our in the United States. Right. Um, and as you read, as you hear those names, um, there's power in saying people's names. Yeah. Um, in in honoring them and holding a candle and listening to those names. Yeah. Um, and and feeling the weight of that. Um, and part of it, I mean, it's heavy. It is it's very heavy, heavy to be yeah. at a Tidor event. It's heavy to hear those names. Um, but I also think that because there's power in it, it also tells us something about what's happening. Yeah. Um, we, we hear a lot of female names. Yep. Um, we hear a lot of names in like in Brazil, there's always a tremendous number. Yes. Um, so obviously there's something going on in Brazil. There's, there's work that needs to be done there. Yeah. Um, but also it, um, it might be the, it might be the place that this person is honored by their name in their death. Um, it might be the only place that that happens. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that, you know, like you're saying, there's power in saying the name that someone chose Mm -hmm. to be called by in their lifetime. Yeah. Um, and, that's in regard to gender identity. And I think there's a cultural element too. You know, yeah. like you said, there are names from around the world. Um, and I think it's just as important to use the correct name as to say it correctly. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, so it's really important, especially in this country, as many of the Tidor events are organized by white trans people, right. Yes. Um, to find out and appropriately say the name yes. um, in the correct pronunciation in the correct language. Right. Uh, yes. Because that's part of honoring that person's dignity as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think that um, the, the question is that, you know, you can, you can stand and hold a candle and listen to the names and participate yeah. in the event. But I think the real power of Tidor is in what it teaches us every year. Absolutely. Um, and I think that, when we when we do an event like this, if we leave that event and say, "Well, okay, well, we did check, we we did our remembrance, right. um, and now we can move on," then we've actually missed the power of Tidor um, in general. And so, yeah. um, I would say that you know I hope that many of you out there are going to a Tidor event tonight, mm-hmm. um, and I would ask you to think about what Tidor is teaching you as you're leaving the event. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, for the, the movement, right. When we're talking about the transgender movement in this country, in this world, the LGBTQ movement, um, Tidor is an, is a perfect opportunity to inform the strategy and choices we make and the way that we prioritize our political movement. Right. Yeah. Um, And the organizing that we do, um, you know, you said it earlier, uh, referring to, you know, if we're, if we're creating a world where the people who are murdered on this list are not murdered, right. the people who are being memorialized and and where, uh, you know, where this list no longer happens, (laughs) right. Mm -hmm. Um, we're creating a safer world and movement for all LGBTQ people. Right. Um, and so that really using that margins to center idea of if we're fighting the fight for the most vulnerable, Mm -hmm. um, then we are covering, everyone else in the movement, right? Yeah. Um, we're doing the work that makes all of us stronger, all of us safer, um, and creating a, a country or a world that honors the life and dignity of all LGBTQ people. Yeah. And I think the ally moment is maybe tied up a little bit in here, so we'll probably just make this all one thing. Um, but I would say that 
we know that when we're reading those names uh-huh. on that list, that there are going to be a disproportionate number that are trans women of color. Yep. And that they're going to be a disproportionate number of those women who were put in danger because they were doing sex work. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I think that it's then really critical that our policy work yeah. around equality for the trans community is focused on decriminalizing sex work yep. so that there is safety in that exactly. um, for folks who choose to do it, but also in making sure that the Equality Act passes yep. and other employment non-discrimination type work is happening so that trans women of color have other options yeah. if they want them. Yeah. So we could actually make a tremendous impact on this list if those two things were happening. Yeah. If trans women of color felt were able to safely perform sex work if that's what they wanted to do. Right. And if they had access to jobs that were not sex work, if that's what they wanted to do. Yeah, absolutely. If we did those two things, we actually would make a tremendous impact on this list. 100%. And if we focus our education efforts, right, as a community and a movement um, on things like first responders, right? People like first responders um, on, uh, you know, folks that uh, are going to be in sort of most contact with trans people in need and desperate need of life-saving uh, yes. measures um, as well as you know targeting sort of professions or areas where toxic masculinity is uh, prevalent to such an extent that um, that these this type of violence uh, is frequently perpetrated on transgender women right yeah. um, in response to that person coming out or being a part of a a man's life who's threatened by the idea um, that he's attracted to a transgender woman yeah. right yeah, and I've heard um, I've heard several interviews with trans women of color who do sex work who have yeah. talked about the impact of FOSTA and SESTA on their ability to be safe mm-hmm. while doing sex work, um, and things like that are maybe, you know, it it's one of those things where it's like, oh, this this bill that's designed to end child sex trafficking, right. what's the actual disproportionate impact of that, yeah. and how does that impact our community? And so the it's it's looking at a bill like that and saying like, Oh, that's actually a trans issue. Right. Like I, I need to be aware of the ways in which that that's an actual trans issue. Um, and then respond accordingly. Right. And aware of the unintended consequences, right. Again, to like having Tidor inform the strategic political decisions that we make as a greater movement, right. And as an allied movement with other movements, um, being able to say, you know, to, uh, an incredible movement of people working to end, you know, child sex trafficking. Yes, we're for that. We're in it for that. We are, we are 100%, 100% for that. We're 100% clarify, for that. Uh, <laughs> we also need to realize that sometimes the best of intentions have disproportionate and unintended consequences on other populations of people like the transgender community, especially transgender women um, whose only option to work is in sex work, right? Yeah. Um, and so having a more robust and strategic discussion about ways to attack both of these right to like to solve both of these issues Mm -hmm. um and ways to not harm one population or the other um you know as a sort of sacrificial lamb right to get one thing done so well and i think that's something that you know i think the national center for transgender equality when we had that interview with mara she really talked about the ways in which they look at policy and like and recognize that 
like lack lack of access to adequate housing can be the biggest trans issue that a trans person is facing. Yeah. Even if it's not on its face, a quote trans issue. Right. Um, and I think if we all shift our lens in that way, um, it does help us see the areas in which like, oh, here is an impact on the trans community that I might not even have considered. Yeah. Um, and and when I look at a bill and I say, oh, this bill is all about ending child sex trafficking, uh-huh. it's really easy to be like, oh, no, that's amazing. Yes, I'm totally into that. Right. Um, and you have to you have to do a little bit more work yes. to dig in and figure out like, oh, actually, here's the ways that that's not amazing. Right. And the folks who wrote the bill might have had good intentions. But when a whole bunch of folks are saying, hey, this is actually not going to – this is the way that that's going to impact us negatively, yeah. you have to listen to that. Like you have to do – you have to figure out how the policy is actually going to impact folks before you pass it. Exactly. Um, and nuancing sort of all of our political challenges, right. In, in this way, I think the migrant caravan, right. Is, uh, mm-hmm. or the, the different iterations of migrant caravans that are coming to this country, uh, whether now in the past or in the future, um, are often full of women, children, and LGBTQ people yes. seeking help, right? Yeah. Um, and so instead of uh, criminalizing these people before they even get to our country, right? Mm-hmm. Um, before they're even here to ask for our help and our and through the asylum process, um, to which actually, is legal. which is fully legal, in fact, and an appropriate and very important way for people to be able to enter this country and find safety here. Um, But, you know, just complicating our worldview a little bit, right. Mm -hmm. By considering that uh, everything from, you know, policy work, like, you know, to end sex trafficking uh, to immigration policy is impacting the trans community um, as well as many other communities in complicated ways. And that we have to like, deal with this from a nuanced perspective yeah. and a perspective that understands that there isn't one universal solution, right? Yeah. For immigration, for sex trafficking and sex work for, you know, like there is, there's we, no silver bullet. There's no silver bullet. Exactly. It's not going to be simple. It's not going to be simple. And if we're going to do it well, it actually has to be complicated because it has to meet the needs of very different people and populations yeah. um, that have different struggles and different realities. Yeah. And I'm, and I would say that this is one of the ways that allies can really be helpful yeah. is to understand, um, is to is to try and get a sense of how to tap into that nuance. Uh-huh. So I, I think that, you know, I'm, I've really gotten into Twitter uh, in the last <laughs> probably year. Yeah. Um, and I follow a ton of people on Twitter who help me see a nuanced way of viewing the world. Yeah. Um, I follow lots of folks on Twitter who are trans and who, have um, have different perspective on things that mm-hmm. allows me to get a sense of the world that opens my eyes mm-hmm. to things that I might not have seen before. And I would highly recommend with your social media following folks yeah. who have a different perspective than you. Yes. It is one way that you can broaden your understanding. Um, and a lot of times lived experience then comes into play because someone can, ex- can share their lived experience, which you might never have even considered. Right. Um, and so that's one way. I mean, we are all on social media, um, m- maybe too much. Uh, <laughs> maybe we spend too much time on social media. Quite possible. But, but because that is one way that we're all connected, you know, there are lots of evils in social media, right? Yeah. But there are some, there's some good that can happen where you get access to 
communities that you might not otherwise have had access to. Yeah, absolutely. You can fight against that uh, sort of phenomenon of social media of hearing an echo chamber, right? Mm -hmm. Of only people who agree with you or are from your lived experience by intentionally following people that lead very different lives than you do, right? And that have a very different perspective and experience um, and at least considering it, you know, we don't have to, we do not have to agree about everything uh, politically or policy wise, um, but we can always learn from someone else's life and the, you know, the truth that they have to tell us. Um, And I think that cis allies, right. Can especially do that in terms of trans folks and can help amplify, right. You can share tweets really easily. You can share Facebook posts really easily. Um, And then your whole circle of people who may not be following folks who um, are trans or of different experiences than you know the cis straight population get exposure to that as well. Yeah, and I th- and I think that that's one way that um, that allies can do sort of this like insidious kind of activism <laughs> where like suddenly you know like I have I have friends who I've known forever and they're cis straight women who exist in the suburbs <laughs> and like all their friends are cis straight women. Like if you start sharing stuff from a trans perspective like that is a world in which that conversation doesn't happen a lot right um and that has the potential to actually make a huge impact absolutely Um, it might be that there's someone out there whose kid is trans and you don't know it yeah um it might be that there's someone out there who is thinking about those things for themselves and not really comfortable with their gender identity but doesn't know doesn't have the words or doesn't have a safe place to talk about those things yes and you've made yourself an ally to that person as well exactly Um, so I mean, from the Trans Day of Remembrance, we get a sense of where our community is most in need yeah. and most experiencing, uh, I mean, life-ending violence. Yeah. But we also can see the ways in which that ripples into our activism. Yeah. And then our activism helps create a world where the list doesn't happen. Exactly. Like, we're not looking, God, I hope like at some point in our lifetime that we can stop doing trans day of remembrance because reading the two names on the list doesn't feel as necessary anymore. Like that would be amazing if we were at a place where we could no longer have these events because the work that we did as trans folks and the work that our allies did created a world in which this wasn't happening anymore. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think that, you know, speaking of other ally opportunities, um, going to the actual event if there is one near you right um and taking someone from your circle right someone who isn't impacted by violence uh who isn't you know someone who isn't trans someone who is cis and isn't impacted by this kind of violence um that's creating you know yet another person to uh potentially become an ally um and accomplice with the trans community right um I think too, this is, you know, transgender day remembrance, the, um, the actual events always sort of make me think about and feel, um, sort of even more connection with, um, and need to do work around ending racism and white supremacy. Yeah. Um, because you know, it feels a lot like marches or vigils when uh, a black, brown or indigenous person is killed by police um, or state violence. Um, and, you know, that's just another connection um, for us as a community to realize that uh, this kind of pervasive violence, whether it's interpersonal or state sanctioned, um, is insidious and in cutting all of our lives short, right? Yeah. Uh, that we have a connection to um, 
all of these movements, right? We yeah. have a connection to other movements um, to end pervasive violence. Yeah. I, as a, as a person who lives on the margins because of my trans identity, yeah. I care about other trans people's lives being cut short, yep. but I also care about people's lives being cut short because they're black, bar and are indigenous. Exactly. Um, I care about people's lives being cut short because they're gay. Yep. Like I, I care about women or, or disabled be, or yeah, yeah. whatever those things are. Like yeah. I, when I, when I look at, and when I look at the intersections of the transgender day of remembrance, yeah. um, I see that those intersections exist. Yes. Um, and they're not, it's not difficult to see that those intersections exist. Yeah. And so it's the reality clear, is, in fact, <laughs> yeah. the reality is that when we, when we attend those events, it sort of opens our eyes to the ways in which like, oh, this is this, Im- what, what, what impacts one of us impacts all of us. And yeah. we all have to be doing the work together to end all of the ways yes. that violence impacts communities. Yeah. Especially vulnerable communities, you know, yeah. highly vulnerable communities. And again, especially, uh, trans and even, and cis women of color, right? So, uh, women of color experience a pervasive amount of discrimination and violence in this world period. Right. Um, so that's yet another way for us all to step up, uh, and be better allies uh, yeah. to women of color. Yeah. So tonight, um, we hope that you will attend a Trans Day of Remembrance event uh, in your area. Yes. Um, we know that in, so we're in Arizona, as we've mentioned before. So Michael and I will be at the Phoenix Transgender Day of Remembrance event yep. um, that's downtown. Um, there is one, I know, in Prescott. Uh-huh. Um, and there is one in, in Tucson? Tucson as yep. well. Um, so those are sort of the three biggest areas in the in Arizona where, where you can find those events. But if you don't know where one is in your state, you can go on Facebook and search trans day of remembrance, 2018. Um, hopefully one will show up, um, and, um, and attend. Right. Um, and if you're an ally, uh, attending means, you know, participating silently and, and bearing witness to what's happening. Um, if you're a member of the trans community, you can find, community there um oftentimes there are lots of community organizations at these events um places where you can plug in and get support um especially this is because this is a very heavy event where we're face to face with the violence our community faces a lot of trans folks are going to feel um are going to have a lot of feelings with that it's heavy it's hard to face that um and so there will be there should be organizations at your trans day of remembrance that provide you know support and community around that. Um, and so we would highly recommend you if you're not connected to those folks already to get connected, um, so that you have opportunity for self care and care within the community around, um, this time. That's, that's a, that's a hard time to remember, um, those who, who we've lost this year. Yeah. And if there isn't, uh, an event happening in your community, um, this is always an opportunity to, um, either help create one, organize one if you're a trans person, right? Um, or to help support the organization uh, of an event uh, if you're a person who identifies as an ally. Um, you know, these events range wildly in what they look like and they're shaped by the community that is creating them. Uh, and so um, it can be as simple as, you know, it can be as simple or as complicated as you want it to be. Um, and you know, sometimes it, you know, in the early years, uh, I was one of the first people to organize, uh, these kind of vigils and events here in Arizona. Uh, and there's a lot of power, um, in organizing something, even if it's small to begin with, you know, you know, just knowing that there 
are a few other people in the world, in your community, in your immediate area, that this is important to can make a difference in your life um, and in your the your quality of your sort of self-care and um, ability for you to find community and comradeship, right? Yeah. Tonight, we will remember those that we have lost in this last year, and we will light candles for them, and we will hold space for their names to be read. And tomorrow, our activism will be shaped by the things we learned tonight. It's time for closing credits. This podcast is hosted and produced by me, Michael Soto. And me, Sam Garman. Thank you for listening. Uh, Make sure that you hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any new episodes. Our music is by Skylar Kurgle. Check him out at SkylarKurgle.com, where you can see what he's up to and link to all his social. We want to hear from you. You can connect with us on TransformPod.com or on Facebook at TransformPod. We appreciate your questions and feedback. Email us at TransformPod at gmail.com. We really encourage your thoughtful and positive feedback. If you disagree with us, that's fine, but we will not engage in any name-calling or dehumanizing talk, so please just don't do it. Thanks for going beyond the transition with us. Please tell me a story.